This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. America as a whole is certainly not following the Torah, but we started out that way. Steve Seifkin brings a surprising comparison of ancient Israel and the United States, a sobering reminder of how far we have risen and fallen in lockstep with our adherence to the law of God. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom Torah fans, welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. America was founded on the Torah? Come on, really? Yeah, that can't be. Well, you may learn a thing or two tonight from Steve Seifkin and may explain why we are in the condition that we are in this country. It makes a whole lot of sense. And before we get to that, we need to look at the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. It is the second Shabbat of the ninth month. There you see it on your screen. And on the Gregorian calendar, we are on the first Shabbat of December, which means Monday is the start date for a new ham radio. Class. So to help me do that, please welcome my co-host, Keith Johnson and Ted Clayton. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and Ted, you have a special guest with us today, don't you? Today, ladies and gentlemen, I have my privilege to say hello to our favorite rocket scientist, Don Goodrich. Hey, Don, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Ted, thank you very much, and how are you? I am fantastic. Well, you had uh, over 165 people sign up and take your technician ham radio class last month, and I, I just thought that was the most spectacular thing I'd ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen a ham radio class that large. I haven't either, and it certainly was a challenge for us. So, yeah, it was awesome. Well, so now we're going to beat that. We're going to do a general uh, license class. So, you know, there are three levels of ham radio. There's the technician class, which is the entry level, the right. general class that now gives you uh, high frequency or HF privileges. Right. And then, of course, there's the amateur extra, which gives you basically car blanche to all of the ham radio world. But we're going to do a general class on December 5th. Tell us about that, Don. Yep. So it starts on Monday. And uh, like the technician class, it'll be four days, uh, two hours a day, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And we'll go through all the 450 questions that are in the general pool. And then, of course, the exam is only 35 questions and you can miss nine and still pass. So that's the real quick summary for that. Well, that's great. And and listen, ladies and gentlemen, the reason you'd probably say to yourself, why in the world is a ministry getting people to do ham radio classes? Well, let me explain to you that this world is going through some crises right now. And we are trying to help our people prepare 
for what is to come. And communication is going to be ultimately important. Now, you know, ladies and gentlemen, that Michael stressed preparation. Always be prepared. And so we're going to be prepared by having this ham radio class to be able to have you be able to talk when none of your neighbors can talk because they don't have ham radio. Mm -hmm. But as we always say in the ham radio world, ham radio works when other things don't. Mm -hmm. So, Don, do you have any final parting words for us before we continue on with the program about your class? Yeah, just real quick. Uh, technician allows you as an entry level to talk roughly 50 miles in, from where you are. Yes. Uh, once you get to general, then that allows you to talk worldwide. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and that's what we want. We want everyone to be able to communicate with whomever they really need to talk to and do it legally. Now, right. I know there's a lot of folks out there that say, well, I don't, want, I don't want Uncle Sam to know anything about me. Well, I get that. But remember, we want to do things the right way. So getting your ham radio license and using your ham radio is just the right thing to do. So yeah. help us, ladies and gentlemen, to be able to communicate through the world with ham radio. So, Don, thank you for uh, being with us here today. We are just so excited. Again, that's December 5th. Uh, the class starts at what time, Don? 7 p.m. Eastern on Monday. 7 p.m. Eastern this coming Monday. Sign up today. And Scott Laird, I think that uh, sign up is going to be... Uh, Tell me what that sign up is. <laughs> it's right on the bottom of the screen right there. Arudawakening.tv slash ham radio class. That's all you need to know. There you, you can have it. And the class is free. Class is yep. free. That's right. Beautiful. Great. Thanks very much for joining us today, Don. And oh, thank my you, Ted. My pleasure. All right, thanks, Ted. Okay, and we also can't forget our special guest right in the middle of us here. We haven't even got to him yet. That's Keith right. Johnson, welcome to the stage. Listen, I just love being and watching behind the scenes. It's magical. <laughs> I mean, you guys do so many things here. I'm like, I'm in awe to be here. Did you just call me co-host? I mean, that's huge. Well, yeah. I'm excited well, about look, you, look, it's Keith Johnson month here. I mean, you're here. We have a series starting with next week. Yes, that's right. And we got the love gift, which starts today, the Christ controversy. You know, it's interesting. I actually, we're doing this on purpose. Yes. Um, when we did the, the series that we worked on. Uh, I kind of really was looking toward December in, for a couple reasons. Yes. One, contextually, when we're talking about uh, why not Jesus, they say Jesus is the reason for the season, but I think we want to understand language, history, and context of his name. Second issue, as important, is uh, ARA and what's been happening the last two and a half years is I've seen the insides of, of, you know, Michael has been amazing throughout my life, but the last two and a half years have been able to really be supportive of him as he's getting better and yes. better and Every better. Every and um, it's really important this month in terms of what's coming and yes. what's happened, that we support ARA in every way that we can. So the love gift, for example, for me this month is one way for me to say, hey, folks, every single person that gets that love gift, that goes 100% to supporting A Rude Awakening. So I'm excited about this month. I'm actually, you know, getting my bells on. I get to come in here and watch this amazing team do all of this work. And so I'm looking forward to this whole month of kind of uh, talking about some exciting things that are yep. going to be taking place this month. Yep, indeed, indeed. And so the the, end, the year end, of course, uh, Ted, as you will often yes. uh, tell us, uh, that's, Keith, you're helping as well with that because we can only do next year what we plan for now before December 31st, right? That's absolutely right. Ladies and gentlemen, now is the time to give. A Rude Awakening International is right now developing the different programs and different uh, event strategies that we can do in 2023, but we have to do it 
with your help, ladies and gentlemen. Your sacrificial giving helps A Root Awakening to be able to do things like an in-person Passover event with 2023. Mm -hmm. uh, it helps us to do an in-person event for Yom Teruah uh, in 2023. It helps us do a new initiative uh, programming like uh, a program that we're developing right now that we kind of have a special name for. We kind of call it the Biblical View. Including Keith right Johnson, now, by the way. Keith Johnson, by the way, yeah, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, who's going to be part of that with us. Mm. And it's just so important right now, ladies and gentlemen, if you could pray, pray and just, just search your heart today to see if you could possibly help over and above supporting A Root Awakening. It's right now that we plan for 2023 and we can't do it without you. So first of all, we thank you for your prayers and we thank you for just being here with us in lockstep with Michael to take the gospel, the true gospel of Yeshua Messiah to all of the nations. Great, thanks very much, Ted. All right, Steve Siefkin brings a surprising comparison of ancient Israel and the United States. That is coming up next, but first, what would be the Shabbat without bread and wine, right? So Michael's got that covered. See you back here in two minutes. Where do we get the name Christ from? And does the definition of the word suggest that there are other Christs than Yeshua? In English, he is the Christ. In Greek, Christos. And in Hebrew, Messiah. We should know there's a connection between English Christ, Greek Christos, and Hebrew Mashiach, which is then in English, Messiah. The Christ Controversy with Keith Johnson takes us on a journey over thousands of years to explore the intriguing history of priests, prophets, kings, queens, and the mysterious ceremony of anointing. The Christ Controversy with Keith Johnson is our gift to thank you for supporting A Rude Awakening International. When you donate $50 to this ministry in December, we'll send you The Christ Controversy with Keith Johnson on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you two gifts, the Christ Controversy with Keith Johnson, plus a custom license plate exclusive to A Rude Awakening International bearing the Hebrew name of Yehovah. Donate $300 and we'll send you three gifts, the Christ Controversy, the name of Yehovah license plate, and this 3D glass artwork featuring an image of the second temple, complete with a wooden base inscribed with Habakkuk 2.20. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Get these exclusive thank you gifts when you make a donation to support A Rood Awakening International in December. Call 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online with a donation at monthlylovegift.com. There is a rabbinic tradition, even a takanot, a law which changed biblical law, that before one eats bread, one must wash their hand with a two-handled pot, a negelvesser, and say this prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments, commanding us to wash the hands. Nowhere in the scripture is this ever commanded. In fact, the rabbis will plainly say that we are the ones that made it up 
and when you are obeying us, you're obeying God. Well, Yeshua said, do not follow the Takanot of the Pharisees. Do not follow their man-made rules and regulations. But every time there is bread, every time we can remember what Yeshua said, what he put in place. And we can say the prayer, Baruchata Yehovah Elohim Melech Ha'olam Hamotzi Lechem Min Ha'aretz. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And Yeshua said, I am the bread brought forth in the earth. This represents my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, if it's every meal, if it's every Sabbath, you do it in remembrance of me, because by his stripes we were healed. And Yeshua took the cup, and he said, Baruchata Yehovah, Elohino Melech HaAlam, Borei Pari Hagafen. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said, this represents the renewed covenant in my blood, the broken covenant in which we were offered to be priests and kings. Yeshua paid the price. He renewed the covenant with us and made us priests and kings. And so as often as we do this, we remember this and we reign as priests and kings now and will do so in the future with Yeshua for a thousand years in our resurrected body along with his resurrected body. And we do this in remembrance of him. Shalom. You know the saying, you know the, the thing, that those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. Well, Israel didn't learn from their mistakes, and did the U.S. learn from Israel? Well, there's maybe something to be learned there. Steve Seifkin, welcome back to Shabbat Night Live. You want to compare the history of Israel to the history of the United States. There's actually some comparison here? You know, it's actually remarkably similar. It, really? it surprised me. Um, it's not exact, but some of the parallels are, are just amazing. Hmm. And uh, one of the things I like to say is God's dealing with nations, every nation. Israel is that example in the scripture. They're good, we should learn from, and they're bad, we should learn from. And we should apply it to our nation here, hmm. that's America. And uh, that's kind of the perspective I look at the scriptures right now. And it, it's just amazing how similar America is to uh, what we read throughout the Old Testament, what Israel went through. And that, that's really what I'd like to share today. And the answer, I want to answer the question, where is God's law today? Good where question. Because <laughs> a lot of us look at the world today and go, good question, where is it? But uh, go ahead. Yeah, okay, wait, well, tell us, where is it? Believe it or not, it's out there. It okay. is out there. So uh, the history of nations, I want to look at the, just, this is not a detailed history, just a brief history of the nation of Israel, and I would like to compare it to America. Okay. And just uh, make some conclusions based on that. Okay, so Israel, you know, they started out in slavery, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah, that's the way we, it really wasn't slavery, though. It was what you call bond servitude. They're, they're, they're kind of different. Um 
Question, how bad was it? I'm going to answer that, so I'm not <laughs> looking for <laughs> answers to it. Think about it. Israel at various times wanted to go back. Yeah. They complained and they were oh, let's go back. We at least had this and that, and there were some good things about we it. We had the leeks. We had the garlic. We got nothing yeah. but sand out here, right? Yeah. <laughs> they had property in Egypt. That's, that's not slavery. We forget about that. Yeah. They had herds. They had flocks. They had homes. Mm -hmm. It wasn't slavery like we think of. It was really bond servitude. The question is, but were they free? Hmm. No, they were not a free people. And this, this, it, this term shocked me when I looked up the words. The first time it appears, the word taskmasters. They had taskmasters is what the way the King James puts it. And that's an interesting couple of Hebrew words. In Exodus 1.11, taskmasters is the Hebrew word sar and mas mis. Um, it's H8269, and Sar means a head person, captain, governor, or ruler. Hmm. It's translated 208 times as prince, 130 times as captain, chief, ruler, governor is what it's translated as. Moss or miss is a burden, that is a tax in the form of forced labor. Hmm. It's translated tribute, tributary, levy, taskmasters. This is a ruler who taxed you, is mm. what that word means. Now, it, it went beyond taxation. There were physical beatings and stuff and whips and stuff like that that you don't see in, in America today, but you know that was very common back then. That was just normal mm -hmm. way you treated tributary nations, nations that were held under tribute. Um, afflict means to browbeat or to depress, deal harshly with. They were afflicted with taxation. Hmm. We don't look at it that way too often today. Like yeah. it's, but that's what the word means, a ruler. The two words, ruler and tax, are put together with that word taskmaster. The first time it's used. The other times it's actually a different word. Interesting. So Israel exodus from Egypt, and they went out to the perfect law of liberty with a mighty hand. God brought them out of the exodus. Right? God worked in mighty ways. I'm not going into detail of this because we know it from the Passover story. He fought their battles for them with ten plagues. Water to blood, frogs, lice, flies, dead animals, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and the death of the firstborn. That's a very familiar story mm. to us. God worked miracles and brought them out of Egypt. And then a judicial system was established. Right, God provided judges. That's the time of the judges. Yeah. And I think we gloss over this a little much and just make some assumptions about the time of the judges. Judges 21, 25 says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And we look at this as a very negative thing, but I don't think it's as negative as we think. I think it's more of a neutral phrase. The time of the judges was not anarchy. Often it's, oh, look at the anarchy because a lot of bad stuff happened. And it's true, the scripture records a lot of bad stuff. But this was not anarchy, it was liberty. It was a theocracy. There was no king. Every man got to do what they wanted. Every man had the freedom to do what they wanted. Follow my progression of thought here. Gideon refused to be king because he knew God was their king. Think about what he said. And Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. Yehovah shall rule over you. Hmm. During the time of the judges is when Yahweh, Yehovah, was ruling over Israel. Yehovah was king, yeah. Yeah, he was yeah. king. There was no king. Yehovah is king. 
Later they received a king, but God said it was a rejection of him. Remember 1 Samuel 8? Mm -hmm. Give us a king to judge us. We want to be like every other nation. And God lamented and said, wait a second. Then he told Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected you, they have rejected me, that I should not reign over him. Mm -hmm. So here they're asking for a king and, and God's looking at that. You're rejecting me and you want someone else to rule over you. Mm. The Talmud calls the book of Judges the book of the straight. Why? Because the ultimate goal of every Jew is to use his free will to work out what is wrong and right, using the Torah as a guide. And this is what happens in the time of the Judges. I put up the verse that James said, the law of God's a mirror. That, that means we're to judge ourselves. Hmm. This is freedom. Hmm. It's freedom. You don't have a king making rules for you. It's freedom. That's the whole point of the perfect law of liberty. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the perfect law of liberty. So we read this as a negative thing, but the truth is it's really just a neutral thing. He's saying there's no king, so the people got to live their lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got this from uh, Rabbi Ken Spiro from a website. That's a quote from him, this, that last part. I wanted to give him credit for that. He did an article uh, describing that. I was like, wow, I got to rethink this. I got to look at it. We, mm -hmm. we need to consider different things. So if your heart was right and you did things in your own eyes, well, if you were seeing things the way... Yehovah had taught you and you kept his commandments, well, you were doing okay then. Yes, and that goes right into the next quote. John Adams said this. He said, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Hmm. You know, you know that what that means is this only works if the people are responsible enough to judge themselves. God's law is freedom. Okay, let's see how this works. And when the people can't do it, then we start getting, you know, different rulers and different, yeah. a different situation going on. Um, Henry David Thoreau said this in the 1800s, I believe it was, that government is best which governs the least. This was a common phrase at that time. That government is best which governs the least because it's people discipline themselves. That's what God's law is all about. People disciplining themselves, being responsible. That only works with immoral people. That's, that's the way his law is designed to work. You know, what's interesting, as you mentioned, I just want to tie a couple sure. of things together that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, is that in order to obey God's law, we said that, you, you said that love was, was the first, that's the, the underpinning uh, yes. foundation of it all. And in the fruit of the spirit, love is mentioned first. What's the last thing? Self-control, mm, which is necessary point. to govern oneself Absolutely. if there is no king. Because self-control, you've got to govern yourself according to Yehovah's commandments. And the underpin of, that, of all those commandments is love. So if you have both of those on either end, I think that... That's, that's a great point. It's not in my presentation, so yeah. I need to add that to my presentation. Yeah, I, I really think, like that. I think self-control is the hardest one. It is. It absolutely is. And, but and, but uh, to, in order to but do that... I, I think that's what God wants from yeah. us. He wants us... To make the decision and to, to choose to live his commandments. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a self-governance. That should sound familiar. Self-governing yeah. is what it is. And so that's God's government. It's a judicial system. And you think about that. A judicial system only construes law. They don't write laws. They don't make laws. Right? Okay. They right. only construe the law. So there's not much wiggle room for changing away from 
God's commandments. It's only when someone, a legislator or someone can add to or take away from God's law that you really start jumping away from God's law. And, you know, the problem is Israel asked for that. They said, but give us a king. So they eventually asked for a king anyways. And God said, sure, this is the king you're going to get. Um, so a king was anointed. And that I put down here as the downfall of Israel. Wasn't immediate. If you have good kings, things are great. If you have bad kings, things are bad. King David, fantastic. King Solomon, most of the time, was fantastic. Josiah, Hezekiah, there are some good ones. The problem is when you get that bad one that wants to change God's law, mm. that's the downfall of your nation. What did he say in 1 Samuel 8? It's going to bring oppression. He's going to take your sons and take your daughters to work for him, right? He would take your sons and appoint them for himself. He would take your daughters to be confectionaries. Then he said in 1 Samuel 8, take your land and taxation, God didn't say to tax. He said to tithe. Now we're going to tax you. This is going to be above and beyond the tithe, mm. which is what they left. You know, taskmasters, a ruler who taxed you. So the end result is right back where you started, which is national mm. captivity, slavery. So instead of voluntary <laughs> tithe, you now have a mandatory tax. Yes. And... Uh, I put this part up in the slide just to make sure I didn't forget. Having a king or a legislator is perfectly okay. God allowed it, but he just warned us. Mm. We just have to let Yahweh, Yehovah, choose our king. That's what in, in Deuteronomy 17 is the laws for kings. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom Yahweh, thy God, shall choose. Mm. We're not supposed to pick our king. We're supposed to let him pick. And that's going to be someone who's going to put Yahweh first, Yehovah first. Not second, not third. You know, King David did that. Solomon did that most of the time. There's several kings that did that. You know, in America, we had presidents that did that. When you get one that doesn't, that's when we have problems. You know, the end result, like I said earlier, is slavery or national captivity. So, you know, the rise and fall of every nation is obedience to God's law, to disobedience. And now you're back where he started. Mm. And you can, you can see that in every nation based on how they're obeying God's law. Even if they're not even considering God, but they're keeping his commandments, those blessings still come. And when you break them, those curses still come. It's just natural. Mm. It's so, like what we talked about with a, um, a business owner who may not even know God, but <coughs> somehow he's obeying the commandments just absolutely. out of... <laughs> you know. No, absolutely. I think God's law and the penalties and curses... And the blessings are just natural. It's just what you, you reap what you sow. Yep. And if you're sowing it, you're going to reap the benefits. And it's not a black and white every time thing. It's, it's a way of life that just your life steers that direction. Mm. I know since I started keeping Torah and God's law, my life's gotten better. Financially, I started putting aside money, second tithe for the holy days. I have a savings account. I can go celebrate with my family. There's so many blessings that my family has because we decided let's obey God and keep his commandments. And, you know, it's not overnight, but things just start shifting that direction. Yep. And, and it's just amazing. But let's look at the United States history. And again, this is just a rough history. United States, we kind of started in slavery too, mm -hmm. right? But it was really bond servitude. It's kind of the, the same situation or at least very similar. When I ask the same question, how bad was it? And it's rhetorical, I'm going to answer it. Britain enacted legislation over the colonies. The Proclamation Act of 1763 forbade settlement. The Currency Act of 1764 regulated paper money. The Stamp Act of 1765 imposed a direct tax. 
Britain wanted the colonies submission, but were we free? Were the colonies free? Not with those. We weren't free to the fullest extent we could be. We wanted to be free. You know, we had taskmasters. Mm -hmm. We had a government that wanted to tax us. No different than ancient Israel. They had the same problem. And we miss that because we see whips and beatings. And it's different than today. You know, we don't get whipped and beat in America, thank goodness. But back then it was common. So we think, oh, they're just a brutal, harsh government. But that's not what the word really means. It means a ruler who taxed them. Hmm. And it got harsher and harsher as the Pharaoh was um, concerned as Israel grew. But America went the same route. You know, we exodused to America. Kind of. The timing's different. It's not the exact same thing. With a mighty hand. And oh, I love some of these. I'm going to read a quote that's just mind-blowing. With a mighty hand, God freed America. God worked in mighty ways to free America. Look at... You, you can look these up. I'm just going to state some things that you'll find anywhere. In Brooklyn Heights, George Washington's troops escaped due to some mysterious heavy fog. I wonder who that was. Mm. Dorchester Heights, a strong wind kept British troops attacking from attacking them. I wonder how that happened. The Battle of New Orleans, Andrew Jackson was outnumbered 10 to 1, but he was still victorious. I wonder how, how that happened. Sounds like a Gideon situation. It, it sounds very similar to Israel. In fact, look what George Washington said. This, this, this quote sometimes gets me teary-eyed. I'm just like, wow, this, is, this tells you what America was founded on. He said in his inaugural address, No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States. Every step by which they have advanced to the character of an independent nation seems to have been distinguished by some token of providential agency. We ought to be no less persuaded that the propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right which heaven itself has ordained. What are the eternal rules of order and right that heaven itself ordains? Mm. It's Torah. God's law. We were founded on God's law. We've lost sight of this. People in George Washington's day knew it. In fact, I read uh, law commentaries. My favorite, Sir William Blackstone, he he made a commentary on the common law, the law of England. He called it divine law, and he said it comes only from the Holy Scripture. In fact, I think I'm going to quote it soon. Hmm. But we, we did the same thing. God dealt with America to give us our freedom, to take us from a burdensome law to the perfect law of liberty. And man, we had it. (laughs) We really did have it. We were practicing Torah here in America. So he established a judicial system. God provided judges, just like he did for ancient Israel. The colonial judicial system from 1400s to 1700s was based on the common law of England. There was no distinction between three branches of government. Why? In those days, there was no president in America. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Mm. Every man judged himself. We didn't have to worry about some legislator or president or whoever that wants to go away from God's law. And again, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a president. We're not going to ever change that. God's law is the judicial system. God's government's the judicial system because the law doesn't change. You just construe it. Why would we need someone that can write more laws? If it's perfect, you don't need to add too perfect, right? Right. So there's no distinction between three branches of government. The judicial system consisted of peace officers, courts, and prisons. The only thing I might object to that are the prisons. You don't really find that in the scripture, but 
you know, they put people in ward before trial. It was similar to that. This was limited government, as Henry David Thoreau said. That government is best which governs the least because the people discipline themselves, right? So God provided judges. That's God's government is a judicial system. That's what Moses set up. Rulers of hundreds, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, fifties and tens. Go judge the people at all seasons. The great matters come to me. The lesser matters go to you. That's Exodus 18. Well, that's a multi-tiered judicial system is what he set up. We have that in America. Mm. We have the Supreme Court on top and all the lower courts spread throughout the land. The great matters go up to our Supreme Court. The smaller matters deal with it locally. It's, it's no different than God set up. This is the Levitical priesthood. That's exactly what he set up. Mm. And the quote I read earlier, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Mm. That's what God's designed for us. It's freedom for his people. Wow. Well, hang on to that. I know we've got more here. We're going to come sure. back. Uh, thank you for bringing Steve here. He's here because of you. You made a donation to make this all possible. And your donations now make it possible for others to see this into the future. Now, Steve is a teacher and you are a teacher among the tens or hundreds or however many Yehovah has put under your care. So let's make sure this gets to other folks that may never see your teaching through YouTube or wherever. This is how this happens, through your donations. This is how we forward this message. So thank you for doing it in advance. We'll see you in a couple of minutes. Well, thank you for supporting Shabbat Night Live. We are talking about the comparison, the similarities between the history of Israel and the history of the United States. And uh, during the break, Steve, you were just telling me how, uh, I'd never thought about this either, that Israel asked for a king. Uh, America asked for a king of sorts, a, a president. Yes, very much so. We asked for a president, we kind of went down the same road that ancient Israel did. And it's not that having a president's wrong. I don't want people to construe what I'm saying that way. But the minute you ask and give someone the power to write laws and change laws, Mm -hmm. you open the door. So now we're in a situation like ancient Israel. You have a good king, things are great. You have a king that doesn't want to follow Yehovah and his commandments, well, we're going to be going the opposite direction. And uh, it's no different with a president. We asked for a president and, you know, we inaugurated one. I think our first one was pretty good. And we've had several good ones. The problem is when we have one that disregards God's law, which is what I think the commandments on kings are, you shall pick one that Yahweh, Yehovah shall choose, That's what we need to do. If we're going to have a king, we need to pick one that he chose (laughs) that goes along with his law. And that's true for anyone under that position, any legislator, any governor. We need to pick someone that puts God's law first. And in America, we did the same thing. I I titled it oppression. You can Mm. see it that way or not. He's going to take your sons. Well, take them for his chariots and war. It's called the military draft today. We do the same thing. Mm. He's going to take your daughters to the workforce. Well, That's happened progressively over time. Women are now leaving the home and going to work, which isn't a bad thing, but I look at it more from a financial perspective. We used to be able to afford one income. Mm -hmm. Now it's really hard to afford living on one income. Right. And gosh, well, when when you need a tax, 
higher and higher like we're doing, you, you lose some of those freedoms that, that you want. So mm. it's not wrong for women to go to work. They obviously should if, if they want to, but we shouldn't be, we shouldn't need to. Right. And that, that's kind of a curse that we're getting that, you know, it's, it's a struggle to try and live on one income. He'll take your land. Well, we just call that eminent domain today. Mm. And then he's finally going to tax you, you know? Well, yeah, we changed from tithing. Did you know in colonial America, we had a tithing system mm. that was built after a scriptural tithing system. Really? We, we tithed to the church, and the church was the government. Hmm. We, we did exactly what they did in the time of the judges. And you can look it up in um, legal dictionaries. That's one of the, like, tithing. What is tithing doing in this law book? I did, wow. It's just amazing. Wow. And you read it, you start to realize, huh. gosh, we did it in colonial America. I read a, a letter, George Washington, lamenting. When he became president, Virginia got rid of their tithing laws. Well, that's exactly what Israel did. Mm -hmm. Now we have a president, oh, we're gonna have to start this taxing thing. Now, instead of 10%, 10% gives you only limited government. When you're funding the government with only 10%, there's only so far you can go. Right. Now we're 10 to 40, 50%. You know, well, that's a much bigger government. And I don't know that that's God's plan. He wants freedom. Yeah. You have less freedom when your government's that, that big. That sounds like a curse because what's always mentioned together, death and taxes. Both of those are yeah. <laughs> negative <laughs> things. We don't either one, either one of those. Uh. So I wanted to talk about two different systems of law. Okay. And we have two today. And this is one of my favorite parts. I was blown away when I discovered what the common law is. Most people have heard what the common law is, but they don't really know much about it, okay? So the common law, here's where it traces back. So if you read Kent's commentaries from 1794, Kent's commentary is a commentary on American law. So that, that's basically what it is. He said, happily for this country, we received our jurisprudence from England in its highest vigor. And in its most cultivated state, the leading statesmen in the colonies and especially the members of the bar had the sagacity to perceive and the courage and patriotism to assert the indefeasible title of their countrymen to all the securities and blessings of the English common law. Okay. We set up America as a common law nations, uh, nation. That's from Kent's commentary. Blackstone's commentary said this about the common law. This was given manifold occasion for the benign interposition of divine providence, which in compassion to the frailty, the imperfection, and the blindness of human reason has been, uh, hath been pleased at sundry times and in diverse manners to discover and enforce its laws by an immediate and direct revelation. The doctrines thus delivered we call the revealed or divine law, and they are to be found only in the Holy Scripture. He's talking about the common law. That's what Sir William Blackstone, a judge of judges, I mean, one of the most revered judges of all times, mm -hmm. said about the common law. It traces its uh, way back to King Alfred the Great in 872 AD. Uh, the wise Alfred adopted as an indispensable duty the extreme rigor of the Mosaic institution. That comes from the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. It goes back to uh, Dunvalo Mulmudius, the 16th king of Britain. Hmm. This prince established what the Britons call the Mulmutine Laws, which are famous among the English to this day. The British king, Dunvalo Mulmudius, proclaimed God's moral law and its judicial applications to be the common law of the land. See, we just don't think like this anymore. 
it was well known throughout our history, and we've lost sight of so it. So common law is essentially the Torah. It is the Torah, and that, that's exactly what I'm getting at in just a minute. It goes all the way back to Moses. Hmm. Uh, Dunvalo Momodius was 400 BC. So this is wow. pre-Messiah. This Britain was practicing the Torah, hmm. and, and we lose sight of it. Now, they've gone back and forth with the Torah. They're not always practicing. They're adding to and taking away from, like God warned us not to do. But the common law... From Black's Law Dictionary, Lex Terry means the law of the land. The general law which hears before it condemns, which proceeds upon inquiry and renders judgment only after trial. Hmm. That's what God set up as a judicial system. The meaning is that every citizen shall hold his life, liberty, property, and immunities under the protection of general rules which govern society. Everything which may pass under the form of an enactment is not the law of the land. So you've got the law of the land, and then you've got an enactment, something you add to it. As long as you don't go away from the law of the land or from the Torah, that's fine. Hmm. I mean, we have traffic laws we need. Sure. There's no doubt about it. As long as it doesn't go against Torah and God's law, there's no problem with that. So I'm not against writing new laws. They just need to be in line with God's law. Black's Law Dictionary also says it means due process of law warranted by the Constitution, by the common law adopted by the Constitution. Hmm. Right there, Black's Law Dictionary tells us the common law was adopted by the Constitution. And uh, he continues in Black's Law Dictionary saying, general public laws binding on all members of the community in contradistinction from partial or private laws. So there's a difference between this law of the land, you know, our law of the land in America is the Constitution, mm -hmm. which we just read sets up the common law. The law of the land here is the common law. Partial or private laws or Enactments are what we add to that. And you and I agree to it mm -hmm. through citizenship, through our elected representatives, and they pass these laws. And see, we're not supposed to put people in office that are going to go against God's law. Mm. That is the problem in a nutshell. That's what Israel did. That's what we're doing. So we need, as we explained, I think it was in the first episode in this series, that as believers, it is important for us in this country, the way it is set up, to vote, because that's the way our system is set up, and we need to bring those people into our uh, system that believe in the Torah, that uphold the Torah. Yes, I would agree with that. There was a time where I didn't, and um, I've gone back and forth on that, because you don't see voting in the Bible. It's usually a succession. Right, right. And so I was pushing back on what you're saying, and I, I still have kind of mixed feelings, but yeah, I, I do agree that we need to get involved in who's running for office and who's, gosh, some of us should run for office. Yeah. You know, and, and make that's a difference. If that's what's going to determine the tide of the country, and we want it to go back to Yehovah, that's the only way to do it yeah. is to get these people in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the judicial, the common law is basically a judicial system. It's, hmm. it's the law through courts. You can't add to or take away from. You got wiggle room. A court can, I mean, we've seen it in America. Sure. A court makes a bad decision, now it becomes a law. But that's limited, very limited. They can't just write laws. You know, and so it, it's a judicial system. Um, in colonial America, it, it said, with the colonial courts acting as an arm of the church, in some instances, both the courts and the church handed out punishment. Hmm. That's government. The church is a judicial system. Look what the Encyclopedia of Britannica says. Ecclesia became coterminous. Ecclesia is the Greek word for church. It was used throughout the ancient Greek culture everywhere. 
It meant government. Ecclesia became coternimous with the body of male citizens, 18 years of age or over, and had final control over policy, including the right to hear appeals in the Halea, which is the public court, take part in the election of archons, the chief magistrates, and confer special privileges on individuals. Hmm. This is the Ecclesia. This is what our colonial church did. They were the government of the nation. Mm. On the Sabbath, I mean, we did it on Sunday, but it, it was we kept the Sabbath. No one yep. was able to work, but it was the wrong day. But they taught the scriptures. Okay, so ecclesia is really a judicial system. And look what our Messiah said. He straight out says this, and, and we miss it. In Matthew 16, when, uh, when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? People are very familiar with this. I want to skip down just to, to show you that Peter said, you're the, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. And, and the Messiah's response was, and I say also unto thee, you are Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, my ecclesia, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever that you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Hmm. He answers what this means in chapter 18. Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained your brother. But if he will not hear thee, take with them two or three more, that at the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So the Messiah is quoting Leviticus about going to trial and testifying. And he's calling an ecclesia. Mm. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the ecclesia, the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, ecclesia, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. For verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Binding and loosing are judicial terms. You're bound by the sentence at judgment. He can loose you from a fine. Binding mm. and loosing are what judges do every day. Jesus, the Messiah, is setting up the church, the ecclesia for every nation to be the government of that nation. And we did it in colonial America. We did it shortly after we picked a president. Then we added so much more government that, you know, we still have it. But we separated church from state. And now we have this secular thing going on that, you know, it's still our ecclesia. It's still our judicial branch. And when we have, you know, godly people there, it, it makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is what I think the scripture is really talking about in the New Testament. So the law never changes, but the judiciary construes the law. It was codified in 872 by King Alfred the Great. It contains 48 dooms, or judgments is what they are. These are the common law nations, England, Ireland, United States, Wales. There's a whole bunch of them, and they all practice the Torah. Hmm. And we don't realize it. Here's what the common law is. The common law, the first 10 dooms. Number one, do not love other strange gods before me. Number two, do not call out my name in idleness, for you are not guiltless with me if you call out my name in idleness. Number three, mind that you hollow the rest day. You must work six days, but on the seventh you must rest. King Alfred even got the right day, hmm. the seventh day. Number four, honor your father and your mother whom the Lord gave you so that you may live longer on earth. Number five, do not slay, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not 
witness falsely, do not unrighteously desire your neighbor's goods, and do not make gold or silver gods for yourself. You can probably see what this is, right? Mm-hmm. It's the Ten Commandments. Indeed. Yeah, they are. That is the common law. That's what King Alfred codified, and that's what works through common law courts up until this day. And the hmm. only change is what courts construe differently when they make a mistake or do something different. It's man, sinful man, using God's system. The system's perfect. We're the problem. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. It's, it's God's government. Because when you have a perfect law, you don't need to change it. This is doom number 11. Bottom of the screen is the common law. The top is the scripture. These are the judgments which you must appoint. If anyone buys a Christian slave, let him be bonded for six years. But the seventh, he must be freely unbought. This is the land Sabbath in the year of release. What? Right there in the common law. Number 12. Though anyone sell his daughter as a maidservant, let her not at all be a bondswoman like other women, nor may he sell her to foreigners. But he, this is the bride price and dowry. This is how you marry off your daughter. It's right there in the scripture. Huh. In fact, I'm going to scroll it so you can see. Every common law statute, all the, the, the dooms, is what the doom means dombach. It's a, it's a judgment. Every single one of them is the Torah. Mm-hmm. And I'm scrolling it up right now. If you have the, the slides up, the, the verse is right there. It's almost word for word. Mm. And this is the law that America was founded on. Wow. It, it just blows me away to, to think about it and see where we've come. So now that, that's one half. And now the, the, there's the civil law that you, you've told me before, this is adding or taking away from, right? Yes, so. the civil law, um, if you look at some of the law dic- dictionaries, will say it's the law that the people enact. So we start with the common law, it's the law of the land. And then we have legislators and, and, and presidents and people who govern and stuff like that. And, and that's not wrong. We have a lot of governors that do a great job. But when they write a law that takes us away from God's law, that's the adding to and taking away that Yehovah warned us not to do. God said, don't add to my law and don't take away. Mm. And now as a nation, we're adding so many laws. We have millions of laws on the books. I shared it the first thing we, uh, first time we spoke was there's 700 and something by my count. The Jews say 613. But in America, we have millions of laws. Mm. We've added way too many to what God said. And some of them are probably necessary. We do need traffic laws. There's no doubt about it. We That, that does not... It's different than what when God's law was codified, but we can make it match the Torah. We can make it match. So the problem we have is what's called the civil law. It's the law the people enact, and we're enacting legislation today left and right. Hmm. And, and that's the direction we don't want to go. But um, God's law has, uh, or our Constitution's given us ways of escape is what I um, would like to get to. Um, the first amendment of the constitution is one of our ways of escape in first corinthians there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man but with the temptation he also makes a way of escape we need to look at that as kind of like a loophole although it's not the same term but Mm. a way out from being forced into breaking god's law that's kind of what this is congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof that's the first one Mm. United States versus Seeger says there is a higher loyalty than loyalty to this country. That is loyalty to God. I wonder how many people know that one. Um, the one I wanted to get at is this one. It's Public Law 97280. This is Ronald Reagan. I probably should have zoomed it in a little more. I'm going to have to lean forward to read <laughs> it. But listen to what 
was enacted in 1983. This is uh, Public Law 97-280. Whereas the Bible, the Word of God, has made a unique contribution in shaping the United States as a distinctive and blessed nation and people. Wow, would you ever thought our Congress would say that? Mm. Whereas deeply held religious convictions springing from the Holy Scripture led to the early settlement of our nation. Whereas biblical teachings inspired concepts of civil government that are contained in our Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States. Whereas many of our great national leaders, among them Presidents Washington, Jackson, Lincoln, and Wilson, paid tribute to the surprising influence of the Bible in our country's development. As in the words of President Jackson, that the Bible is the rock on which our republic rests. Whereas the history of our nation clearly illustrates the value of voluntarily applying the teachings of the scriptures in the lives of individuals, families, and societies. Whereas this nation now faces great challenges that will test this nation as it has never been tested before. And whereas that renewing our knowledge of and faith in God through Holy Scripture can strengthen us as a nation and people, now therefore be it enacted, resolved by the Senate and House of representatives of the United States of America in Congress assembled that the president is authorized and requested to designate 1983 as a national year of the Bible in recognition of both the formative influence the Bible has been for our nation and our national need to study and apply the teachings of the Holy Scripture. How come I don't remember 1983 as the year of the Bible? <laughs> I don't know, but is that not the most amazing law you've just, ever heard? It's almost too good to be true. When you read this, they go, well, there it is, a black and white. But. but we can use this to say, you know, Congress told me I should study and apply the teachings of the Scripture, mm. and I'm going to do that, and that means I'm going to do this in my life and not what you've asked me to do. Wow. And that, that's what church is for. Our ecclesia, our judicial branch will probably grant you that if you know how to defend yourself. Wow, this has been amazing. Steve, thank you so much. Um, we really appreciate you being here. I don't think we're done. I mean, you have a ton more to share with us. So would you come back sometime and share some more? Yes, I absolutely would. Okay, I would right, love to. It. Steve Seifkin, thank you very much for joining us on Shabbat Night Live. Thank you for joining us. I hope you've learned some things. I have a new way of approaching the Bible now as a legal book, a legal document. This is uh, really interesting to look at it that way. And hopefully you learned uh, some things as well. So now we need to take these things and teach others. So let's go ahead and do that. And until then, we will see you next time on Shabbat Night Live. Shavuotov. 